morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I am Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is Music Man Edition. He is a DJ from Brooklyn, New York. He was previously nominated for a Grammy. He was a regular DJ on the popular New York City hip-hop radio show, The Underground Railroad, with Jay Smooth. He is featured on SG House regularly and currently does a live Twitch stream twice a week. You can find him on Twitch, Mixcloud, SG One House, all social medias. Those links will be given to you in the description. I first learned about Music Man Edition after seeing a post of his online. He posted a picture of himself when he was four or five years old. He is now 51. Here's what he wrote in the caption. On this birthday, I reflect on my life and the current year, 2020. Pictured as a happy little boy, devoid of recognizing the differences in color of people and filled with innocence, people were just giant-sized humans. But as I got older, living in communities of color and growing up poor, I realized that I didn't have what some other kids had. Seeing a doctor or a dentist on a regular basis wasn't a thing. Home remedies was the doctor for headaches and stomach aches. My mother and a bit of my father warned me to be careful, basically instilling fear only children of color experience. Now at this age, I am more aware of things, but I still have that fear only children of color experience. I am 51 now. Finally, after George Floyd's murder by the hands of the police, eyes are no longer wide shut. They are opening. It took the span of all these years, but it is a gift to me under unfortunate circumstances that eyes are opening. Happy birthday to me. I was deeply moved by those words, so I arranged to converse with the man. So with great pride and without further delay, this is a portrait of Music Man Edition. in uh, Brownsville, Brooklyn, believe it or not. Wow. Uh, have you moved around in your life, or have you pretty much stayed in New York? Mostly, yeah. All, all my life in New York. What's what's so special about New York? I, you know, I'm just a California guy. I've been to uh, a couple states on the West Coast, never been to New York. What's what's so great about it? What's not so great about it? Is, is the pizza really better out there? Uh, let me answer that. Well, New York is great. And this kind of defines me. I, I like to discover all different races, nationalities, and New York is the place for that. Like you can, you know, I'll be honest with you. I, I met, I have, I had dated, uh, Spanish women, black women, Chinese women, uh, Jewish women. Uh, Italian women. I, I just, I, you know, I just, and I have all kinds of friends, you know, all different shapes, mm. sizes, color creed. It just, I wanted to be, New York was just a place for me because I wanted to be different than the stereotype of, um, you know, what the, a black man is supposed to be mm. by other black people. So I, I just wanted to do things different. And New York was perfect for that. Wow. So, yeah, New York really, you're, what you're saying is it's true what they say. New York is really a melting pot. It really is. It's the center of the world. <laughs> That's what I believe. <laughs> and, you know, you, you talk about all these people that you've you know been involved with, friends. Uh, does that also stretch to cuisine? Are you also a fan of Italian food, Chinese food, all these different cuisines? I'll eat anything. I, I really <laughs> like to taste I, I really like to explore different foods. Um, it, it's just great. I, you know, you can learn some cooking tips from different kinds of foods and apply it to the stuff you like, you know, things like that. Where, where does that courage come from in terms of eating different foods? Is that just the result of being a New Yorker or is that something that was ingrained in you by your parents or your, your buddies or something like that? I could tell you it started with my father who would eat anything, didn't matter. <laughs> he would eat anything. And he would, you know, teach us when he was around about 
eating different foods, but mainly Southern different foods. But he would just he would have Spanish food and share with me. So that kind of started it off. Um, did, did he was he also like you in the sense that he had Italian friends, these kind of friends, those kind of friends? Yes. Yes. Um, my dad was a auxiliary policeman. And, um, yeah, so he, uh, he just wound up making a lot of friends. He was always a friendly person, very outgoing. So I, I, I assume I picked that up from him. But the other thing I picked up too was I was really, because of living in New York, I was really quiet, a shy person. And I would just sit back and analyze other people other races mm. and see what I could pick up from there. Yeah. What well, what's some of the strangest stuff that that you've eaten? Uh well I had snails. Um <laughs> uh, is that escargot? No, I went to uh when I got married I had I went to Taiwan mm. and I had for our wedding um party there were all kind of different foods. There was snails. There was like all kind of stuff there. And again, my father ate everything. He's like, Oh, what's this? What's this? What's this? He ate everything. You know, wow. And my wow. mom, she wouldn't, she wouldn't eat anything. <laughs> she was like, what's that? Like she's so picky with food. So your father, you know, you say he was, uh, you know, you make him sound adventurous. The, the kind of people he was willing to engage with, the kind of food he was willing to engage with. Did that, what did he really live with a sense of adventure in in all aspects? Um, not not totally, but he was a he was a go getter, you know. So I I kind of got some of that from him, but I think when he left when I was really young, maybe maybe nine, ten. So I had a lot of the other stuff. I got some of it from him. But the rest I picked up on my own. And mm. I think a majority of it started when I started working at um, like a corporate job, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, you see all different kinds of people there. Yeah. So that also that helped me a lot. Um, I used to play in basketball tournaments, different neighborhoods. So you kind of make friends there, too. But, you know, here and there. Yeah. My uh, my father, he. He left when I was maybe about four or five and only mm-hmm. I'm, thir- I'm 30 now, but only recently, maybe the last five years, I would say, uh, only the last five years we've been in contact and have gotten dinner a couple of times. Um, so I can sort of understand a little bit of what you're saying. Um, but you said that your father, he was there with you at the wedding party. So that means did he come back? Did you know, did was well, he not? So my, my father was an alcoholic. Right. And he left and I used to see him come back to the house. He would come home drunk. And then there was a long period where he wasn't around Then he came back around, you know, and then then he, you know, he stayed around for a little while. Um, I mean, he passed away around five years ago. Mm. But. um, So, yeah, he was, you know, he, he would come back around, try to make a relationship with me. Um, and then he wound up going to Taiwan for my wedding. Hmm. Um, so he wasn't gone totally. He was just sort of in and out. In and out. And then there was a long stretch where he was hmm. like, you know, I didn't have, I didn't have that father to uh, borrow his car in high school and take someone on a date or, you know, I used to see all that stuff and feel pretty sad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how that affected you, because uh, just from personal experience, uh, you know, like I said, my father left when I was four or five and every father, every single Father's Day after that was just sort of an awful day. I felt very uh, awkward in in school every year in school on Father's Day. It felt very awkward. You know, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't make the uh, Father's Day card that everybody else was making. Or if I did, I didn't say much about it. Uh, You know, was that your experience, too? Exactly. Totally. Exactly. Because, you know, like sometimes I would look out the window. I knew what his car sounded like, or at least I thought I knew. Sometimes I would stand at the window looking down the block to see if he was coming home, mm. you know, coming back. And then in school, 
I didn't have a, like you said, you know, Father's Day come around. I, I didn't have someone to give a Father's Day card, like you're the best dad, you know, whatever, you know, I didn't have that. So it, I just had to deal with it. You know, it turns out I had to be the man of the house, mm. if, whatever that means. But, you know. Yeah. Did you yeah. have uh, siblings or do you have siblings, I should say? I do. I have uh, I have two sisters and a brother. And are you like, the oldest? No, I have. Um, so I have two a brother and sister who are older from a different father. Mm. And then I have a younger sister from my father and mother. And then I have a, another half brother from my father's side. Mm. Yeah, I so, kind yeah. of uh, have a situation like that, too. Um, but I was in, in my household. Um, I was the oldest and I had I also sort of had that experience of being a man of the house. And, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it was like for you. You said the word sad earlier. But uh, I remember my youth, I think I had a lot of anger. I, I've since gotten rid of it. I've since developed. But I just remember my younger years having this rage that I couldn't explain. Um, what emotions were going on in, in, in you for, for that time span where your father wasn't around at all? Believe it or not, I was hopeful that I would see him walk around a corner or walk through the door or... Um, or just show up at my school. I was always hopeful. Like I felt sad at times when he wasn't around or if I was looking for him, but I don't know why, but I was just always hopeful. Like I didn't, maybe I didn't just didn't understand why he was gone. You know? Yeah. Did you, did you ever um, lash out at your mother or somebody else? Like, you know, or yeah, I guess, you know, how did you, did it affect your relationship with your mother? Were you closer to her after that? Did you resent her or, you know, what, what was your relationship like with your mother during those um, years? Um, supportive. Cause I, I could see how hard this was on her. You know, she, she had to, she had to pay all the bills, um, herself. And, you know, she was a, she was a housekeeper. So, you know, there's not much money in that. And, and there were times we go to the supermarket, some things I wanted, I couldn't get. Uh, so, yeah, I could see it was tough on her. So I didn't yeah. have any resentment. I just I just didn't understand why, like, why he was gone. I mean, at times I would ask her, like, you know, did I do something wrong? Wow. Did your dad ever explain to you or did you have to just sort of infer what happened? He never explained, I, and I never asked him. I, I, to be honest with you, that hope turned into happiness when he finally came back. Wow. So I was just happy. But I never – so, like, when he when he had his, his stroke, uh, I don't remember who told me, but the, I know the doctor told me that, you know, this is going to be fatal. Mm. Maybe it was a doctor. He's like, this is going to be fatal. He's like, if you have any, you, it, you, this is the time to forgive him. Basically. Mm. Do you remember what so, you yeah. said? Yeah, it was about, it was about him not being there. Wow. Was he a was conscious? Not, he was conscious, but he couldn't speak. Mm. Like for a while, for a, a couple of months, he was really, he was unconscious. And then, he became conscious and um, I would try to talk to him and he would just turn his head away because mm. I guess he was embarrassed. He's a pretty, he was a proud man. And uh, I think he was just embarrassed that he was in that position. Yeah. Um, do you feel, is there some comfort that you have in, in having said what you said to him before he uh, passed away? Yeah, totally. Totally. My brother did the same thing. My older brother did the exact same thing. At this point, I feel fine. I, you know, I was able, I wasn't able to mourn because the other people, my sisters didn't do that. They didn't take the time to forgive him or whatever. And now they're still kind of mourning. Mm. And, you know, my mom, she's, she's still suffering from it. Um, 
But yeah. Yeah, I kind of had a similar situation with my grandfather. He passed away a couple, I think 2016 from a lung cancer. And, oh, man. and I didn't, like I said, I didn't have my father around my whole life, basically. You know, he just showed up a couple yeah. years ago and we've since sort of connected, but my grandfather was really my father figure. So, you know, it was like my, my dad died, but understood. Yeah. But my grandfather, the last two or three days that he was alive, he was just unconscious. But I, I remember the last conscious moment he had, it was me picking him up because he was so frail and weak and in pain that yeah. I, had to, I had to pick him up from his seat to lay him on the bed. And that, that was the last conscious moment we had with him. But he, uh, he laid down and, uh, we just knew how close it was. And I, he, I don't know that he heard me because he, he was unconscious, but yeah. I at least got to say the words to him while he was alive and just thanked him and, and told him that I, you know, I hope you, I hope you are proud of me and that, you know, you're, you were my hero. And, um, I think that oh, that's wonderful. I, I can appreciate what you said, how you, you said something, something to the effect of it helping your mourning process. You were able to mourn and, and sort of move on because you got to say what was in your heart. Oh yeah. Yeah. And say it while he was aware, you know, yeah. or could hear, mm-hmm. you know, he couldn't say much, but he, uh, I said it while he was here, like he would just nod his head or whatever. Yeah. And you, you have a son of your own, don't you? I do. I do. How? Yeah. I'm, uh, Go It'll ahead. be 19 on Saturday. <laughs> wow, 19. How how's that make you feel? Old, <laughs> very old. <laughs> does it does it feel like you just flew by? Um, kind of, kind of. But you know, I know life moves on, and my I only worry that I want him. I worry that I could pay his tuition every year, mm-hmm. uh, and then I just my only worry is that. Uh, I want to make sure he is successful in life. Like he has no worries <laughs> in terms of finances, you know, things like that. So, yeah. How did, uh, so you're the, the, the situation you had with your father and all that happened. Did that influence the way you were a father to your own son? Did it inform you as to how you wanted to be a father? Yeah. Cause that I, I vowed never to leave his side, no matter what happens. And you've been there no since day happens. one? Day one. Day one. And uh his mom and I are divorced now, so but I've been in his life ever since, since mm-hmm. he was born. And how does that make you feel? Because see, I'm at the state I don't have children yet, but so I'm almost in a similar or no, I wouldn't say similar situation than you. What what I mean is is that I wonder how I'm going to feel when I have a son or a daughter and I reflect on my upbringing with my own child. Uh, you know, how does it make you feel about your your own younger years now that you've gotten to see your own son grow up and you were there the whole time? What it, does it change how you think about your upbringing? Well, if you look if I look back, I look at them all as lessons mm-hmm. on top of going to school, but they're all lessons. And just as you would take the math that you think you wouldn't use in school <laughs> and use it now, you know, Wow. because at the time, you know, you use math. You're like, what am I taking? I don't need this. But, you know, when you get older, you know, you need math. You you, you got to count your change or uh, your bills or things like you need math. So, yeah. Um, but all these experiences in life, um, if if you don't dwell on them and you just use them to help you move forward, mm-hmm. it's it, it's really a great assist for you. And it could be even better for your children. When when you and your um, your ex-wife had gotten divorced or it was approaching that that uh, decision, did was there any fear in you like, oh, no, this is going to change my relationship with my son or or were you just that more? um solid on the fact that you would never leave your son. I I don't think the decision I made to leave my family was good. It wasn't uh it wasn't a good decision. That wasn't good because I left 
to go with another woman thinking that, you know, this would free me up. But I think the best thing, when I look back now, I think the best thing would have been for me to either go to counseling with her or let her know or move on my own and and see if we can work things out like that. But either way, um, when I actually wound up leaving, I still fulfilled all my duties. Like mm. I was with someone else and I still, you know, took him to school. I still came and made him breakfast. I picked him up from school. I made him dinner. I did his home, helped him do his homework and then left. Like that was wow. every single day was like that. So I, you know, wow, that, that, that's really uh, powerful stuff. Yeah, is, <laughs> is, uh, you're, you're being a good father. Is that, um, is that, do you have a strong sense of pride in that regard, being a good father? You know, I don't, I, I don't, honestly don't see it as being a good father. Um, I just do what, I, I just do what I feel I should do. I feel like mm. it's my duty, you know, I, it, it, like I should do it, not, I'm not, I want to be a good father, but, you know, you learn every day when you're a father, every day. I mean, <laughs> uh, for example, I, when, when I left the house, I realized that there was some neglect on my part, not, not meaning like anything bad, but I realized that, you know, there were times when he said, Hey, why don't you, you know, could, would you want to play with us? You know, Xbox or, you know, whatever. And I was like, Oh no, you guys go ahead and have fun. That was yeah. the wrong thing to do. You know, to, I'm looking back because wow. that's spending time with him. Those, those are times I should have spent with him. Mm. And when I left, so I would come back. The time was limited. I had so. All I did was focus on him. There was no other distraction. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, like I said, I don't have children of my, of my own, but I, my younger sister, well, actually both of my younger sisters, um, they both have kids. They both have two kids. And yeah. my nieces and nephew, uh, they, they mean everything to me. I, I, I look at them and I see myself in their eyes. You know, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I they, just just the family um, genetics. Like I can just see that I can see myself in them, and uh, I really um, cherish that the, the situations where my nephew, he, you know, him wanting to just play with me, you know, him just wanting my attention. Uh, you know, when I lived at the house because we all lived together, you know, we all, you know, we all uh, crammed into this small house. Uh, I finally yeah, left. I, I finally left once I got married, but. Uh, you know, th those years that I spent there, I, I know, I sort of know what you mean when you say that neglect, because there are so mm -hmm. many times where I didn't, I said, no, you know, I'm too busy. And then I just said, I just lay in bed instead. And yeah, now that I'm out of the house, the times I go back there, I, um, I just cherish the time so much more. And I'm happy that I have the opportunity to, to use that time, you know, God forbid, you know, they got in an accident and I never got to spend that time and take him up on that offer to play Xbox or whatever it is. So I, I really cherish the time I have now. So I can sort of understand at least a little bit with, with what you're saying, with that undivided attention that you have with your son. Yeah, I, I think that the time you spent with your nieces and your nephew. You when you when you have a kid or kids. Uh, they're going to be your allies because they're going to help you <laughs> and guide you with your kid. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, <laughs> just from what you learn from them, <laughs> you're going to pass that on to your kid. Yeah. It, and I'm the oldest too, like I said. So it's funny that my younger sisters, you know, they, uh, you know, they didn't go to college like I did, you know, they're, they're yeah. they, they still, well, one of my sisters moved out, but they, you know, they're, in a different place in their life. So, you know, in some ways they know more than I do. And then in some ways I knew, I know more than they do. So it's funny to mm -hmm. me to, to watch them develop as, as humans, you know, as people they're, they, they, I've watched them grow up and have kids of their own. And, and I, yeah. and, and I wonder like, Oh, how would I do it? Would I do it differently? And I, and I sort of, 
you know, I sort of back, what do they call it? I, I'm a backseat driver sometimes with them. You yeah. know, where I'm like, you know, what are you doing? Why do you do that? You know, I would do it this way. And they look at me like, I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. You actually do. <laughs> you, you, you actually do because you're shaping by asking these questions, you're shaping your future with your own kid. Yeah. You're going to remember those moments where you said, <laughs> I would do it this way. When you have your kid, you're going to do it that way. <laughs> uh, you know, do you only have one child, just your son? Just one. Um, have you, you know, I, I saw a post of yours. Um, I think it might have been a photo of your mother and your father. And I, I, it made me wonder did, did you, you're a black man. Did, did you ever have a talk with your son about race and what this world might be like for him? Yeah, I did. What, what, what because, was that like? Um, I talked to him, I talked to him about it when he was younger and we talk about it now. We, you know, I, I tried to be his best friend as well, you know, so, um, I would treat him with respect and I would talk to him as an adult, you know, not such heavy uh, conversations, but I would let him know that, you know, you know, we live in America where the color of your skin, it changes how people treat you no matter what color it people change, you know, people change how they treat you based on how you look. You know, um, and I said, you have to be cautious of that. And he he understood. But he still he has friends of all shapes and sizes. <laughs> He's very friendly. So, he, I mean, he gets it. He gets it. So anyone around him kind of believes the same thing. So he mm. pulled in and all his friends are OK with, you know, the fact that I'm his dad. <laughs> they, you know, they think I'm the cool dad. You know, <laughs> when I used to go over there. They'd be playing, they'd play floor hockey. I'll be the goalie. You know, yeah. it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So he gets it. Did, did you try to, uh, prime him for the world? Or did you try to kind of get to him before the world could come down on him in these ways? Or did you sort of give him, let's just call it the talk, um, because he experienced something out in the world? I think so. You know, my son is mixed. So. When I used to take him to um, to school in Flushing, I used to get harassed by wow. cops, by people, sometimes just by looks. Oh my god! Some people would say something, and because he 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 didn't look like my kid, you know, wow. but he's actually my kid, my son, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So all I would do is like when he got old enough. I would just point things out to him. Mm. That's D- all. Does that sort of, I mean, how does that make you feel? Because I, I, I'm a, I'm a Mexican man in California. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I can't say I know what it's like to be black on any level. The way you, the way you make it sound and that I've heard other people make it sound is that you, you just never forget you're black. You're, you're always treated like, like you're always black. reminded. And that, <laughs> always reminded. And that's something that white folks and maybe even me, you know, I'm not I am not constantly reminded that I'm Mexican, you know. And mm-hmm. so so that's why I can't fully understand. But, how, you know, when you're having to, you know, tell you explain things to your son. So your son witnesses somebody giving you a look or a cop pulling you over, whatever, what have you. How does it mm-hmm. make you feel to have to explain that to your son? Like what just happened? It sucks. It really sucks. But. This is what I would call street knowledge, because this is exactly what happens on the street. In the home, you know, you don't have to deal with that. But once you get on the street, this is the stuff you got to deal with. Not just people trying to mug you or, you know, uh, fight you. It's, it's all this stuff. This is, to me, this is, it's not, it's street knowledge is just all of this stuff, all of it. Wow. Um, do you recall when you were younger? Uh, did did anybody have did anybody give you this explanation? You know, this is what you're going to deal with in this world. Or did you just sort of figure it out on your own? I kind of started figuring it out on my own. 
And I'll tell you, my my parents, they kind of made you. And, and I, I know it's because of how they they came up. They came from the South mm. and things were very different for them back then. So right, right. I grew up be- kind of believing and liking what they like, you know, until I got old enough to start seeing the world in my own eyes and not through theirs. So it start it, just like any kid. You start questioning what your parents <laughs> are telling you. Yeah. Even the food. You, you start questioning all this stuff. Yeah. What what was your uh, folks experience like? Um, I mean, obviously, I know details of history and the civil rights movement. But what was mm-hmm. your impression of what of how what their life was like, you know, when they were younger and as they matured into adults? Did they do you have any idea of what they had to face in their life? Well, my mother tells me all the time about how um, she could not. She was very poor. Mm. Number one, she was very, very poor. And she's been through foster homes and, um, it was, I mean, just alone, just being and just in the own, in, in her own community where she'd be in a foster home and the kids, kids are kids. They don't like you. She told me of a story where her brother, her brother would sleep in front of her. So the other kids wouldn't kick her. Wow. You know, so she told me stories like that. And then she told me stories how, um, like they would walk long distances. She wouldn't look at a white person uh, out of fear. Oh God. Like Eve, she said when she came to New York, she was fear. She was afraid of white people. And she wouldn't look them in the eye, you know, things like that. And I was like, wow, that's, that's horrible. That, yeah, it, it's just, it, you know, when, like, when you put it simply like that, it just sounds so stupid, you know, it, it, it's so unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that's a part of the problem is that people who are white and who aren't black, they just don't have, generally speaking, can't fathom that experience. You know, you, you just walk into a store, no big deal. You, you walk down the street, yeah. no big deal. And, and, so it's that's that's why it's so infuriating when people say all lives matter, because yeah. it's like, well, no, you're you're basically telling me that that I am not being treated differently. You're basically saying I'm treated just like you and I'm experiencing something different than what you think. When I went to China uh, and Taiwan and, you know, they experienced something similar there. It darker skin and i know this is based on black people's darker skin there is you're dirty you're not Mm. clean um so people there want the really pale skin they don't get much sun because that's beautiful there that's considered really beautiful so it's it's all the world it's just america is the worst and also if you look at America, they don't, you know, they call you, um, they say black American, Mexican American, right? Spanish American. If you go to Canada, you're Canadian first. Oh, wow. Then you're, uh, then you're black or then you're French or then you're Chinese. Right. But only in America, you're black American. <laughs> wow. American should be, American should be first. Right. And even I, the craziest part is you go, you, let's say uh, I, I went to Croatia and they said, you're American black, right? <laughs> they say American first. <laughs> it's freaky. Wow. I I mean, how does that make you feel? Does it just make you feel like home is a crappy place or does it? Do, do you it feel sucks. Like- yeah, it sucks. I mean, there's, there's still some racism. Um, in other countries, but it's just, it's different. It's just, it's really different. It's, it's, it's really different. And yeah. like you go to, you go to France, it's different there. You, there's still racism. They know this black French, but it's just different. It's different in the U.S. If, if I walk into a store in France, I don't feel like I'm stealing something. Oh. But if I walk into a store here, I feel like you know, let me just 
I feel like I'm stealing something and I have uh, plenty of money to pay for it. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's a shame. It's hard to shake that feeling. Or if like you see a cop and you're like, you know, make sure you drive the right speed, you know, or you're walking, make sure you're doing everything right. So you don't, wow. I spent my whole life trying to avoid police period, avoid trouble. I didn't, you know, I just want to be happy. That's, that's it without any of this stuff. But it's, it's, this is embedded in the U.S. and in, in the United States of America. It's embedded. It, yeah. It's going to take a lot for it to go away. A lot. Are you, uh, hopeful or optimistic at all with the current social climate with all that's happening out in the streets and, all the white people that are out there protesting in the name of black people. Are, are you optimistic at all? I am because now all the white people that get it can explain to their white friends. And if they want their white friends don't get it, they're going to lose a friend mm. because they totally get it. Now I'll tell you, my, my girlfriend is white. Mm. She gets it completely. Gets yeah. It. Uh, It's so um, it's so unimaginable to a lot of people um, that you could feel, you know, you got money in your pocket. You know, you're a successful man, yet you still feel like you're stealing something when you have no intentions to steal at all. That I that not just that really is, is infuriating to me that that a whole class of people or just based on your looks could could foster that uh, difference in society just because you're you're a black man that that's how you're treated despite the let's say the social status you actually have it it's infuriating I, I can't even imagine what it must actually feel like to be the target of that and it's 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 even harder to explain to tell you the truth like it's it's inexplicable that somebody would just think first of all. That the person himself, like myself, is thinking that, and then you're thinking that somebody else is watching you think that, or you know, yeah, it's just it's. Uh, it's just I mean, tough. does this sort do, do those situations? And I and I would imagine that there's a lot of other situations like that. Um, you know, you go into a store and they make you feel like you're stealing. You you see a cop up ahead. You try to stay behind. All these different little things. Do mm-hmm. you know, do you find yourself maybe if not anymore, but at least, you know, when you were younger, having to develop these strange defense mechanisms for these situations where I, I'm making this up now, but where you keep your hands visible in strange defense mechanisms? When I was younger, I wasn't the older I got, the more aware I got of those mechanisms. I yeah. Maybe I did them before, but, you know, I didn't I wasn't. Just think about it. When you're younger, you only go places where your parents or, in your case, your grandparents took you. Yeah. But when you get older, you start going to many different places. Mm. So you start to feel it more and recognize it more. Like, for instance, I went to with my ex-girlfriend, who was Canadian, Chinese. Um, We went to just we just took a ride. We were going up to shop. And took a ride to a place in uh, Connecticut. Stopped there. When we got in there, there were it, you could just feel the energy. It was wrong. It was off. I felt that she didn't feel it. Wow. They were trying to figure out who was going to serve us. Oh my God. Like who was going to serve us? Uh, and when the person put the menu down. Like, like, here's the menu. Like, just kind of shoved it on the table. Here's the menu. They didn't like open it and hand it to, you know. And I, I told, I told my girlfriend at the time, I was like, we gotta leave. I was like, let's just go. I don't feel this. I'm not giving these people my money and they're making me feel like this. That, 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 that pisses me off so much. Um, that, that, it's not a world I want to be in. Um, yeah. And, and was that, you know, was that new to you? I mean, I, I know the answer to that question. I'm sure it wasn't new to you, but is it 
sort of a feeling, you know, when you get stitches, it's possible to take them out too early. It, it, it every time this happens, are, do you feel like you're just getting the stitches ripped out every time? It's like the wound just will never heal. You're just repeatedly being targeted like this. In some cases, I'm glad I know. I'm glad I'm aware of it because a case like that, I'm not going to give that establishment my money. They don't deserve it. Yeah. So I walk out and spend my money elsewhere where I'm welcome. Ah. So, so you, so you, I'm, I'm actually glad I know it. Right. Okay. So, and so as opposed to like, you know, a few years earlier, you might have sat there and been served and then, you know, and then be, be treated poorly. Whereas now you just know situations better as you're growing older. Every year yeah. that goes by, you learn more and more and you can sort so, of so adapt. Yeah. Yeah. That it reminds me of my uh, grandfather. You know, I, I talk about him a lot because he was like my father. I, I learned a lot from my grandfather. Yeah, I get it now. I understand. Uh, he, I, I always remember the story, you know, these little stories about him always, you know, I never forget him. But uh, my grandfather was a, a proud man. And I remember once he uh, out here in California, there are, you know, there are a lot of grocery stores, but there are two main ones around here. Uh, Ralph's and Vaughn's. Uh, very similar. Mm-hmm. You, you probably couldn't tell the difference if you went to either of them. But okay. <laughs> but my grandfather, uh, he he was like committed to one of them. I can't remember which one it was. It might have been Ralph's. And uh, they okay. treated they treated him a certain way one time. You know, I I don't know what it was, but my grandfather was very proud. And that one instance, I can't remember what it was now, but that day he's like, you know what, I'm never going there again. Because I know I'm going to come to a grocery store once a week, spend over a hundred dollars. This company doesn't deserve, you know, however much money I would be spending here in a year. Um, exactly. And, and I, that always stuck with me a lot. Um, so it, it's interesting to me that you sort of say that with uh, this, this one restaurant. Um, so you, the girl you were with, the uh, Canadian uh, Chinese woman, uh, what yeah. you know, what conversation? What was the conversation like when you left? She always likes to act. She always liked to act like she knew what was going on, but I could tell she didn't know. She's like, "Oh yeah, I recognize it." <laughs> she didn't. She really didn't because she was. She had a question mark on her. I could see it on her face. Like, right. why do you want to leave? Mm. And I was like, "Let's just get out. I'll explain outside." And then I had to explain to her. That's how I, I knew because uh-huh. I had to explain to her what the situation was on the inside. She couldn't feel the energy. Wow. And you felt it immediately. Yeah. When I walked in there, I could feel it, it was just kind of this dry energy. It was it wasn't warm as a, like a dry, almost like your lips cracking or something. <laughs> you know, yeah. You yeah. Or. Yeah, like kind of like that. Man. And then if you look, if you pay attention, I've I, I noticed a lot of things, and I could see the three of them just kind of standing together, looking over, and trying to decide who is going to serve this table. I can't believe that you could just see that in their eyes and in their body language. They're sort of looking at each other, uh, who's going to take yeah. this one? Yeah. God, that yeah. that is just ridiculous. Um, Man, I, I have a, just a couple more questions. I know you're also a you're a DJ, so I mean, I, you know, I don't want to bring the yeah. vibe down this far, but I, I think it's very informative. It's very interesting for me to hear your perspective. So I hope you don't feel like I uh, dug too deep. Hey, man, right I'm now. fine, man. Hey, it's fine. Um, so you said that you uh, were a, a Grammy nominee, right? So uh, my old friend Dean Landu. Um, he, uh, I met him at this, this club in the city called the bank. It's not there anymore. It was old bank. It's called the bank. And mm. we met another one of my friends there called, his name is Tony touch. And, um, uh, we all met there and I told him what I do and we kind of hit it off and he pulled me in the studio and we, we started working on this. He had this artist named, uh, Michelle Weeks, mm. and she did this song, this song called Burn. So he did like some of the keyboard stuff, and I did the drums, and I helped him arrange the song and 
record the vocals, and the song got nominated for a Grammy. Wow. It's a very simple song, um, but it got nominated for a Grammy. He sent me the, he sent me the the notice that we got nominated. Um, I got a I got a note in the mail. Honestly, I can't find it now. It might be in my ex wife's house. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was it was pretty cool, man. And um, I remember getting a, actually I got a write up in Billboard magazine by this guy named uh, Larry Flick. He used to do the dance music. Uh, stuff. Yeah. And did you get yeah. to, um, go to, I, I'm not that familiar with these award ceremonies. Did you, did you get to go to the award ceremony? No, you, you get nominated, but they don't do, they, they usually do the high caliber mm. nominations. They don't like, cause I think a lot of people get nominated, but I think they do the high caliber. The ones who, they assume they think that will um, be truly nominated. Like who, who has a chance to win? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like that. And uh, what what genre do you do? Is it? Um, I, I listen to some of it. It seemed like dance music of some kind. What what do you call it? It's a, it's soulful house. Mm. And is yes. it in fact dance music? Is it designed to be like club? Not club music necessarily, but music that people dance to. Yeah, so all this music, dance music, EDM, all these genres, yeah, a lot of them stem from like in the 90s, maybe really late 80s. It was called just house music. Mm, period. Yeah. Just house music. <laughs> so um, it just started developing into all these genres. And, you know, I also went under another name, DJ 3D, mm. and I did a... I did one of the longest running hip hop radio shows called oh, wow. Underground Railroad. No kidding. With, wow. uh, with Jay Smooth, um, who also has a, he has a, a show on Twitch too, Jay Smooth. Mm -hmm. Um, and all we did, all I did was break underground hip hop since 1999. Mm -hmm. You know, I played the, the first Eminem song on there. And <laughs> no way. I, yeah. Wow. I've been in uh I've been in DJ battles, you know. So wow. a lot of my a lot of my house music productions have that have a little bit of a hip hop edge. You know, I could still cut and scratch and <laughs> back and forth. I can still do all that stuff now. You yeah. know, I'm I'm a little bit rusty, but I can still learn a scratch. I'm I'm learning a new one now. Um so yeah, I you know, I it's it's just stuff I love, you know. Do you spend a lot of time listening to music like uh throughout the day? Uh yeah, do you do you spend a lot of time making or listening to music? Well, I have a I have a day job, but it's music is always in my head. <laughs> yeah. And um it's always there and sometimes I get ideas and I just I'll jot them down in my notes. <laughs> and then when I get home, I'll come and see if I can put it together at home. Uh, and sometimes I'm successful. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes the ideas are great. Sometimes they're not. So, you know. Yeah. Do you, do you like any other genres other than house music, like uh, jazz or any, anything like that? I have a pretty decent sized jazz collection. Cause oh. I used to go dig, I used to dig records a lot, <laughs> you know, dusty basements and, uh, yeah, and I used to go to Rock and Soul in the city and buy mm. records. I remember the first time I bought a huge stack. I got a job, <laughs> and I bought like the, I spent like two hundred dollars on records. <laughs> I had like four or five bags of records. Wow! That I bought home. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Did you uh ever have the occasion? Because New York, I I would imagine the jazz scene even now. I would imagine it must have been hot. Um, for decades, did you ever have occasion to sit in like a on a cool little clubby jazz set? Uh, yeah, once or twice. Um, there was one place over by 59th Street, Columbus Circle. I went to, and actually, one of my friends at the time was performing, so I got to sit in and listen to some jazz. Yeah, it was nice. It was very nice. Yeah, very yeah. very cool. Uh, music man, how okay. can, how can people uh, 
find you? What can they look for? Well, I'd like to every Friday and Sunday, I do a show on twitch.tv forward slash music man edition. And because of the coronavirus, I called it uh, music man editions home alone party. And mm-hmm. you can also, you can also find me on SG one house and Mixcloud at music man edition. Um, I'm on Twitter at music man edition, Instagram at music man edition and Facebook at music man edition. Man, music man, um, it's, it's coming up to an hour someday. I, I would love to talk again. Um, you're, uh, you're, you're just a great guy to talk to. I, you're really smooth and uh, easy to talk to. <laughs> I, I can see why people uh, like you. Um, I just have one more question just, just for now. Yeah. And you can answer it any way you like. Music sure. man, who, who are you? Who am I? Um, well, like I said, I am a humble producer. DJ, um, who just like to spread music and make people happy. Mm-hmm.